All right, welcome back, everybody, to episode nine of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your regular host, Kimbui Wamani, with a new guest on hand, Jordan Eisen, um, known for his FOV underscore sports Instagram page, predicated for fantasy football and fantasy baseball. Jordan, here to introduce you right now today. Um, how's your day going? And talk about your product. Um, my day's going pretty good. Uh, just a normal day, you know. I didn't have school today, so that was nice. Um, and yeah, to my understanding, today we're talking some fantasy football, but I do both fantasy football and fantasy baseball. I have a podcast. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts, really. Uh, the Instagram page, too, is getting kind of big at this point. And, of course, I have a Twitter with the same handle, at FOV underscore sports, blog, podcast, the whole nine, really. Yeah, and um, I reached out to you possibly be a guest on my podcast you obliged and i checked out one of your episodes predicated on fantasy football and it was very good and for me being a fantasy football player uh last season it was tough for me uh different circumstances obviously COVID 19 things of that nature and i didn't really have a very productive season like i thought and we're going to talk about that in a nutshell in terms of one of the more disappointing fantasy football players that you probably had on your board that didn't play particularly well last season in 2020 um, if you want to go in-depth on that topic, you may. I know for sure on my end, I picked Carson Wentz. He was my starting quarterback. He didn't play particularly well last year. Um, I think I wound up cutting him maybe before week five. And because of that quarterback situation, I kind of struggled um, in and out throughout the weeks. Largely one of the main reasons why I didn't play particularly well in my fantasy league. But outside of him, can you name some other guys that struggled in the fantasy football world that you thought would have better seasons than they did last year? Yeah, so I actually came up with a few guys for this list. Uh, I came up with really a few for most of the prompts you gave me. So for this one, uh, number one overall, just based on value and uh, how much draft equity you had to give up to get him, Zeke was, it hurt. It's not like CMC, you paid more. They're both top three picks in most leagues. But um, at least CMC, you knew not to start him most games. And he wasn't like actively hurting you. Sure, he's taking up a bench spot or IR spot, depending on when the Panthers like ruled him out in your league format. But um, Zeke, you kind of had to play every week. No one was going to trade him away, uh, like, like trade a lot for him because it was kind of understood. This is just who he is now. He's, or at least without Dak last year, like this is who he is. He's going to get you close to like. 10 points a game, not have much of a ceiling, not really have much of a floor either. So really anywhere in the like five to 10 range, maybe five to 14, if you play some PPR, um, something in that range was like kind of understood to be his weekly value, but you spend a top three pick. That's not what you want from a top three pick. You don't want five to 14. You want closer to like 15 to like 30 really. Uh, and he did not have any upside. And it was just totally understood that his upside was capped. And then Tony Pollard comes in that one week and gets like 30 points and it leads a bunch of teams to the fantasy finals. So Zeke is definitely my biggest disappointment. Um, uh, should I go on with my second one too? You can. Um, but before you do, I want to piggyback on the statement you made about Zeke and McCaffrey. You made a statement that McCaffrey was the obvious back that you shouldn't have started as the season went on. And for me, didn't really get that obvious because he was my 
starting back, kind of got obvious towards the end. It was one of those situations where when he was healthy, which is rare, played particularly well. And when he wasn't in the lineup, you were just stuck. And then with Zeke, he was a very intriguing case because early in the year before Dak was hurt, he had the fumbling issues. And then when Dak went out of the lineup and Dalton was the quarterback, teams did start to stack the box even more. And he was rendered pretty much ineffective as time wore on. He looked out of shape. He didn't look, you know, that physically, you know, productive within the running system. So those two individuals I can consistently say were pretty good picks by you. Yeah, he was, it was tough to see, but I definitely think having to play him and I, I don't really blame CMC for getting injured. I don't blame like Saquon for getting injured, whatever. It's not their fault. It's not your fault for drafting them. And it's really not your fault for drafting Zeke either. It was kind of out of his control. But even still, I think if Dak were healthy, this would have probably been his worst season. He just didn't play uh, as well as he usually did uh, in years past. Like, I think we're beyond him. I'm I'm past picking him in the first round. I don't want to do that anymore. Um, he's not fast, and we've got a lot of really good running backs right now. Like, would you rather have Zeke or Nick Chubb? I think it's Chubb very easy. He's so much more dynamic, so much faster, just can run you over. Zeke is solid. He can handle volume, but honestly, so on my podcast, I've been known to be a David Montgomery hater good reason because I don't really like him but honestly between Zeke and Monty I don't know who I would rather have like and and that means a lot coming from me because I do not Montgomery but they'll both just have a lot of volume be pretty uh on just pretty normal with that volume maybe just I YPC is a bad stat to like use to predict the future but just for context and like projecting projecting what a YPC is, I think that's okay. Uh, so I think they'll both have like seven yard, just like pretty unmiraculous stuff. And then my number two, I put Chris Godwin. So if you said, again, like I could have gone with the easy choices, gone Saquon, gone um, CMC, but I wanted to, point out is that I don't really think people are thinking of as being the biggest disappointments but uh Chris Godwin if you said Tom Brady was going to throw 40 touchdowns and the Bucks would win a Super Bowl and Chris Godwin was healthy all but a couple weeks I would a lot of people would probably take him in the late first or early second and I mean people were taking him in the late second and Tom Brady did do those things in the Bucks and Chris Godwin only missed like one or two games but he was still just not anything special like that that's what you want in the second round someone who like actively wins you weeks pretty consistently and Chris Godwin his fantasy finishes I don't know they they just weren't that great I still think he's a good player I'd be interested next year especially depending on his landing spot even if he's back in Tampa and so is AB um, I'm still fine taking i just think he was a big disappointment in in 2020 given like that his situation was pretty much perfect and he just didn't really come through pretty much at all 
Yeah, with Godwin, he was another guy I had on my team. It was a weird case. Uh, he had the finger injury, the thumb injury. I'm not sure which part of his hand was kind of messed up. And he was never the same. And I kind of picked him predicated on the fact that coming from New England, Brady's uh, strengths were underneath intermediate routes. And that's what Chris Godwin profited off of very much. And I still felt like if he never got hurt, he would have benefited the most out of that receiving system than the Mike Evans, who eventually got over a thousand yards. But I agree. He had the injury with the hand. He was really never the same. I think he had a big game when he played against the Vegas Raiders. But yeah, I think, you know, those three individuals that you pinpointed, two of them I had on my team, they underperformed throughout the year, mainly because of injuries and whatnot. And that was huge. And so the next one is underrated performance in fantasy football. You really have a ton to choose from. You can pick Justin Jefferson, what he did, James Robinson, who's on my squad, what he did. Um, what type of individuals you have on your radar looking back? You're like, man, they had some underrated performances that no one really saw coming when the fantasy season happened. So the way I actually interpreted this question, and I could come up with some that are more your definition on the spot, but the list that I came up with is like guys that really showed me something and people I just don't think are recognizing it. So I have a whole list. Do you want me to go through those guys or kind of like people that uh, guys that people didn't see coming? Which one? Hey, whatever you're comfortable with, do what you have to do. All right. Uh, I'll I'll go underrated. And like the the way I thought about this was just kind of like guys that, I mean, just aren't being recognized as having a great season. So first up, I've got DK Metcalf and he seems pretty polarizing right now. Like him and Lamar, people just seem to love to hate, but they're like fun guys. I don't, I don't get it. They, they seem like they're uh, good guys, like nothing really against them, but people just seem to love to hate them. Maybe it's his blue hair for DK. I don't really get it, but like, he's just a beast. Like the Seahawks offense kind of fell apart. I don't really understand why they seem, maybe they were, uh, too dialed in on DK but when things were going like he was wide receiver like three for me week in and week out like in my rankings every week he was like wide receiver three and it and it worked out too like it he did see a major fall late in the season and I just don't think it's his fault I kind of think the Seahawks offense as a whole really fell apart maybe it was because Chris Carson was out. I don't know. I, I, I don't know too much about schemes, but um, I can tell you DK was a good player from the beginning to the end, a great player from the beginning to the end. A couple of weeks ago on Instagram, I had like a top, like just the best wide receivers in terms of skills. And I put him at like number five and I got a bunch of hate for that. But this guy's just so good, so fast, so big. Like I'm not going to take him in a lot of drafts because uh, I think I want to go running back, running back. And I mean, sure, if I have like the number one pick and I go figure figure I go CMC and then I have the last pick of second DK's there and there's like no uh, comparable running back, I definitely go DK. Like uh, just based on the nature of how I think, I don't think I'm getting him because I don't think I'm taking many wide receivers early. But figure it was just a wide receiver draft or something weird. I, I, I don't know what it would be, but uh, I definitely think DK is 
not being recognized and his performance in 2020 is extremely underrated um i also have a couple of other guys but do you have anything you want to say about dk first yeah with dk uh i do agree fantasy wise he was a superstar and in real life he was a superstar as well now when it comes to the hate that he gets i think it started to escalate when individuals compared him to Calvin Johnson, AKA Megatron. And I don't think he's a Calvin Johnson type player yet. And I think in large part, that's because I do think his route running is limited. And I do feel like a lot of that is parlayed into the fact why Seattle was such a vertical downfield threat team. I don't think Tyler Lockett's route running is limited. So they could probably switch up the route concepts with him, but a lot of his players are predicated on the deep ball down the field. And as the competition heightened and he got against corners, could run just as fast as him not as fast but just as fast as him and were physical enough to stay with him in his hip pocket he was running a little bit ineffective when the games mattered but he's a superstar in the making great size speed combination incredible hands a playmaker with the ball in his hands after the catch it's undeniable and he's an individual i think moving forward in fantasy leagues across the world cats will entertain as a receiver they take in the first five rounds uh, i i first two honestly like uh my overall rankings might have him a little lower than adp average draft position but in terms of like wide receivers compared to their adp i feel like i'm going to be really high on him i would venture to put him in like my top seven probably uh, i would think just based on what i'm seeing and whatnot uh he'd be at around 15 for uh just overall ADP consensus. Um, and I think he's a lot better than that. Uh, the second guy I had on my list is Jalen Hurts. A similar thing, honestly. He just seems to be getting a lot of hate. Carson Wentz was just traded. Now people are saying, like, are the Eagles going to draft a quarterback? Like, what? No. J- Jalen Hurts, first of all, I think he could have been a first round pick last year, but he wasn't. Whatever. Jonathan Taylor wasn't a first round pick either but he's great too. Second round picks can be great very easily. A lot of them are, but um, you saw a couple really good games from him that last game against Washington football team. That was not great, but his other games, like that game against Arizona, that, that was nice. And some other like very nice games. And now people are just saying trade him, draft a new quarterback. I, I don't get it. And for fantasy, with this rushing floor that he has and this rushing ceiling, like we could see him rush for 100 yards pretty often in 2021 and rushing touchdowns too. I'm interested. And he has a good, like compared to his running, I think might look kind of like Taysom Hill, but I do think he has a much better arm. Figure the Eagles take wide receiver at number six in the draft where they sign uh, maybe Chris Godwin, who we already talked about. Yeah, I'd be totally in on uh, Jalen Hurts. He kind of reminds me of Kyler. He's slower than Kyler, uh, just like speed. He's not as fast. No one really is except for maybe Lamar. But uh, he's definitely more physical. He's he's kind of like a mix of uh, Cam and Kyler, which is yeah, – I, I don't get why he's getting so much hate and people are saying trade him. Like, he, he was good. I, I don't get it. I think a lot of that hate that you spoke of is a lot of Eagle fans that are probably Carson Wentz sympathizers still can't get over the fact that he's gone now. 
and they're going to probably to their grave feel like he was unjustly removed from the team because he was never given a true opportunity to showcase his fullest potential in his last year with the squad, beat up offensive line, no weapons. And a lot of that is just the human nature of the game, while the other aspect is just bad general managing by, you know, the Eagles front office. But what hurts, I just don't know. I, I'm not as in love with you as you are with them. From a player perspective in fantasy, I feel like I wouldn't mind if the Eagles actually took a quarterback because if you look at the situation and how it happened with them last season, uh, they only took him to be a backup for wins. Now, I don't know why they took him in the second round. I mean, they could have took somebody else in the second round, maybe receiver or offensive lineman, because Hurst was going to be there probably around three and four. So I understand now that he's been elevated since Wentz has been cut, that they're entertaining the fact of getting someone else to possibly be their franchise QB. But I do agree they have so much uh, holes within their offense. Receivers still an issue. Offensive lines getting older by the day. That's something that can be improved as well. But I do feel like maybe if Hurst gets the right material around him, solid protection, explosive receivers on the outside, he can be, I think, the quarterback that you feel like he can be potential-wise. I guess. So I get moving on from a rookie quarterback. First of all, if he's really late value and just like, if you like Gardner Minshew type of thing, he was solid, uh, but like just nothing special. He didn't have much hope coming out of college. Uh, not much draft equity. I get moving on from one of them because you didn't have too much hope. Whatever they give you is going to be more or less a surprise. And I get moving on from someone like Josh Rose and Daniel Jones, uh, Dwayne Haskins, whatever, where it's just like very odd how this guy can't play. But like now we have this year, people are saying uh, two is trash to trade. I, I think the Dolphins should trade for Deshaun. Like anyone should trade for Deshaun, but I don't think that's because two is bad. I just think that's because Deshaun's really good. But um, like people are saying, move on from Tua, move on from Hurts. Like guys, they were a rookie lad, and now they're like, nah. They're now they're just in their second year, and they didn't do anything horrible. Like I think Jalen Hurts was pretty solid. Tua definitely could have been better, especially based on his draft pedigree. But both solid. I don't get why. People are saying move on because they were good and they were only rookies. Give them another year. Um, another guy I have this on this list of like kind of just unrecognized performances, uh, underrated performances. Brandon Cooks, like he's just good when he's on the field. Like that last year with the Rams in 2019, that was kind of bad, but he was also injured like for half the season. And the Rams' offense was pretty broken with Gurley on one leg, the offensive line being among the worst in the league for whatever reason. I don't know what that was all about in 2019. Then he gets traded to Texans, and he's good again. What do you know? Uh, sure, Will Fuller was for the last five games of season. He was still pretty good when Fuller was there too, though. It, it Just Fuller being gone gave him more targets. Uh, it, it was kind of the perfect storm for him, so know how great he'll be going into uh 2021 but in 2020 he, he was really solid. he rode him into the playoffs for a couple teams and like okay so the texans defense was horrible and their offense was pretty solid so defenses played their offense in a way that 
you can take the flats, you can take short passes, um, but and that uh, Brandon Cooks really capitalized on that. Uh, so I think he was unrecognized. I don't really know what it means for 2021, especially if Deshaun is gone. Figure he stuck with Tua or Sam Darnold. Uh, I'm not interested. Uh, but maybe as a late round flyer, wide receiver three type. Um, but for what he is, I don't know. He, I, I just think he went pretty unrecognized in 2020 because he was really like a wide receiver one for a decent bit of the year. And just no one seems to uh, think about it like that. That's literally been Brandon Cooks' career in a nutshell. So I'm a Saints fan. So I remember when we drafted him. And I think maybe 2015 at Oregon State, won a Belinda Koff Award there. And all he did was make, make plays for us. And the best kept secret about why the Saints traded him to New England was that he called out Drew Brees, in essence, by saying he didn't feel like he got enough targets down the field. And the main reason why he didn't get enough targets down the field is because Drew Brees' arm was on the decline. And so to protect Brees and I think his image within the team, get rid of their quote-unquote malcontent, move him to New England, and it kind of coincided correctly because Michael Thomas was emerging as an elite number one at that time. He was a young pup back then. And he went to New England, balled out. Went to the Rams, balled out. The biggest thing with Cooks is concussions. I mean, he's been concussed maybe about four or five times in his career. So that's knocked him out of commission a ton. But like you said, when he's played, he's a threat. He's a vertical threat that can take the top off the off the, you know, off the top of the defense. He's a great in yards after catch situations. He can take a bubble screen, 15, 20 yards. And so his productivity within the Houston Texans offense isn't surprising because Deshaun Watson is a top five NFL quarterback. Now, Houston offense in particular, like you said, the players on their team, right now you kind of got to stay away from them because you don't know if Watson's going to be the quarterback or not. I just saw reports saying Houston's like, we're not trading Deshaun Watson for a long time, which means Deshaun maybe could sit out. And then with that situation, you don't know if Houston is going to have the equity to get somebody else at QB. So they might roll with a backup on the roster. And so you don't really know offensively what they will be next year. So while Brandon Cooks was productive last season for him, that quarterback play isn't on the right of court coming into the year. Maybe a fantasy keep away, like you said. Yeah, I mean, for Dynasty, it's kind of tough uh, to know what to do with any Texan, really. Um, I would just hold, I guess, if because even if they figure they work out trade with the Jets, I feel like that's whoever they trade with, whether it's the Broncos, Jets, Panthers, or um, who's the other one? Dolphins. So that would either be Drew Locke. I mean, he's garbage, I think, but he's something. So Drew Locke, Sam Darnold, Bridgewater, Tua, you're getting one of those four back. I feel like people are thinking in like or keeper leagues, whatever. People are thinking, once Deshaun leaves, we're totally screwed. Like, there, there's no one here. But you're going to have a replacement-level quarterback, honestly. And um, that's definitely nice to have. Like, uh, I feel like you should hold or maybe buy, uh, see what the price is for Brandon. He's still a good player of at least a decent quarterback, if not Deshaun Watson himself. So. Yeah, I, I'm fine with him in uh, long-term dynasty slash keeper. 
And on the next topic, sleepers coming into the year. Uh, we had, well, I just brought up some guys within the fantasy football spectrum that performed well than the one saw coming. James Robinson in Jacksonville was one story. When Jags cut Leonard Fournette and coming into the season, we didn't know what their running back situation looked like. James Robinson wasn't even thought of as somebody you start. And then towards the end of the year, he won a lot of leagues championships, a lot of guys in certain leagues titles. And so coming into this year, um, and I'll touch base on the next topic, which is a different one, and I might add, because you really don't know what happens until guys are drafted. But guys are on current NFL teams that may be free agents, things of that nature, which individuals maybe you have that are potentially sleepers that could come in and make some noise and have a productive impact within various fantasy leagues. Uh, my number one sleeper, and it does depend on Dak Prescott is back, stuck with Andy Dalton as a Cowboy starter yet. But CeeDee Lamb is such a beast. He He's so good. Like, I already referenced it, like, that post of, of the best wide receivers, right? I put DK5. I put CD like, 15 maybe. But honestly, it, if he continued what he was doing in those first few weeks uh, for the entire season, like, he could be seriously top eight or so, like, he he's so and I was looking I, I started my uh fantasy pros and I don't really know how they have their order set up. It seems a little off. There were some guys in like the two hundreds that are very clearly not supposed to be in two hundred. I don't think it's completely accurate. Um once I'm done talking, I'll look up his ADP, but C D Lamb, like they had him at seventy two. I thought he would be a maybe a fourth round pick. If he's going at seventy two, I'll take him in the fifties or sixties all day. Like, uh, if his ADP demanded it, I would be okay. I wouldn't be that enthusiastic. But if he was going in like the third or fourth round, I would consider taking him somewhere in the forties. Uh, but in the seventies, yeah, yeah. If Dak is back. I would definitely take him in the 70s or earlier just to make sure that I get him because he's so good. And according to that draft price, he is being slept on. Yeah, CD, he was another individual that was on my fantasy team last year. And when he got touches, he was explosive. Um, Great in the slot, very good outside. You just never had an opportunity to play outside because you have bookends like Cooper and Gallup. So just play him inside. And he was productive down the field, intermediate, run out to catch situations on quick little swing routes. He was a playmaker. But like you said, it's very influential that he has a consistent QB play such as Dak Prescott there and not the likes of an Andy Dalton. Because if that's not up in the air, then you don't know. And maybe that's why a website that you just brought up is ranking him low, because it's like we don't know if Dallas is going to franchise tag and bring back Prescott, which means if that's not the case, they might bring back Dalton on the cheap, who will be cheap, or draft a young rookie quarterback. And with those elements, it may take a minute to really factor CD within their offensive scheme, which can hinder a fantasy team's productivity with Lamb on the roster. But he's a big play individual who I think is probably one of the more, can't believe I'm saying it, underrated rookie receivers in his class because when he was getting drafted, he was lauded as top two. And we knew Justin Jefferson to that amazing leap. And not everybody was really looking at C.D. Lamb like that because of his statistical numbers. But when he played on Sundays, you could tell he had an influential impact within that offense. 
Yeah, he, he was really good. Um, I'm looking at Fantasy Football Calculator right now, and their ADP also seems really weird. I mean, it's a long time until the season's going to start, but they've got CD at 56. For context, uh, that's right around Deontay Johnson, Raheem Mostert, DeAndre Swift, Chris Godwin. But it might just be super flex because um, they have – it doesn't really seem super flex. I, I have no idea what's going on because they have Ben Roethlisberger growing at 61 and just Justin Jefferson at 64, TJ Hawkinson at 65. Like, I, I'm not really sure what's going on. Maybe – uh, we just need to wait and see, but it gives us a range, I guess, of where we should expect CD Lamb to go. And I would definitely be all right taking him. He saves. Like, yeah, for sure. And I, the ADP is broken right now. I, I don't know what's going on, but if that's about the range where he's going, sure, sign me up. That's a good sleeper candidate for next year. Yeah, I agree. Um, the fact that you said Jefferson was in that range makes the list seem even more a little bit foreign. But he's a guy, you know, like I said, CD Lamb that can make plays. Um, <clears throat> that being the case, rookies. Now, obviously, like I said, you don't really know what a rookie can do that's potentially coming into the league right now because the draft hasn't happened yet. You got to see which player lands on a certain team. But just based upon what you may have seen in college football, what you've been reading about as we go towards the draft, which handful of rookies you feel like no matter what team they go on, they can make an immense impact on their squad and be productive in fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a joke on my podcast. I don't watch college football. Just like I don't have time. I do homework on Saturdays and then watch football on Sundays. I don't have time for college football, but uh, since the off season started, I've been listening to a bunch of prospect podcasts, doing some research and whatnot. And so the one guy that I think, regardless of landing spot, cannot fail is Najee Harris. We've seen wide receivers just flunk all the time. So Devontae Smith seems pretty much like a lock, but just the nature of wide receiver, I don't quite trust it as much as I trust Najee Harris. Worst case scenario for Najee Harris, he lands on a bad team. Uh, figure he goes to what's a bad offense? Uh, the Jets if they can't land if they can't land Deshaun. Okay, figure he goes to the Jets with Sam Darnold. It's still an all right team. Like odds are he's on an okay offense. Like odds are he's on an average offense just by like statistics. Of course, that's obvious. So he's on an average offense. Let's just call it the Jets for worst case scenario. On the Jets, he's going to get like 15 carries a game. And I think he's good enough to turn that into minimum 60 yards. He could be a Derrick Henry type and just feed him enough and he breaks off a long one. He has very, very strong Derrick Henry vibes. But no, I I don't really feel comfortable calling anyone Derrick Henry since he's such an anomaly, but... If there is one, it's definitely Najee Harris. I think he's the closest thing to can't fail as you have in this draft. Um, uh, What's his name? Whoa. Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that everything I've listened to, heard, 
uh, Red says that he's the best prospect since Andrew Luck. And I mean, just a year ago, we were saying Joe Burrow was the best prospect since Andrew Luck. So Joe Burrow turned out good. I think Trevor Lawrence is pretty much a lock too. I don't know how much that matters for fantasy since we've got a lot of good quarterbacks right now. So you're probably not wanting to start him, but he definitely could uh, factor into things come bye weeks when he's getting used to the league more and there's more of a need for uh, various quarterbacks. Yeah, uh, you made the Najee Harris statement, and he's an intriguing running back as well. I feel like he'll probably go late in the first, which means he will be on a good team. I'm thinking Buffalo is probably the team that makes the most sense, in my opinion. He goes there in an offense where Josh Allen's just growth and development as a passer has elevated that offensive squad to another level. He'll get opportunities to run through the same holes that Devin Singletary, who I had on my fantasy team, and Zach Moss, who I also had on my fantasy team, will run through. And he'll be a lot more productive than those guys because he's bigger, stronger, and a really creative runner. He's an individual he documented that he doesn't like to get hit in the legs a lot, so he'll hurdle a few times. But he's an individual who can run through the trenches and run through a wall, but he can also elusively juke by you, hop over you, and move around you to get his requisite yards. So that's an interesting guy as well. Trevor Lawrence, like you said, safe pick. Everybody's been lauding him as a second coming of the next great thing in the, on the quarterback circuit in the league. And with that at Jaguars offense, he had the chance to be solid. Their offensive line's a little bit underrated. Um, James Robinson's going to be there, the fantasy uh, underrated gym that it coexisted last year. DJ Chark as a solid receiver. They got Chenault in the slot as well. And so in that offensive squad, he can have an opportunity to be productive and be one of those sneaky top 15 fantasy quarterbacks, which is weird to say since it wouldn't be that sneaky since people are lauding him as the next big thing. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And uh, on the notes, you also asked for, like, who my Justin Herbert and who my Justin Jefferson are. So for that, Justin Herbert, I'm kind of interpreting that as meaning, like, a unpolished rookie who I mean I could just say Justin Herbert means who's going to be the best rookie quarterback obviously I would go Trevor Lawrence um, but just for more of an interesting conversation I could see other than Trevor Lawrence maybe Justin Fields if he runs enough Zach Wilson's pretty solid too so those three they're they're pretty clearly top three then you get into Mac Jones Trey Lance uh, those guys I think Trey Lance is like can be next year's Justin Herbert. It's not going to happen. I he's unpolished, like I said. But if anyone comes into twenty twenty one and becomes like the next Justin Herbert, surprises us, uh, coming out of college very unpolished, just strong arm, very impressive physical talent. It's going to be Trey Lance, like. Trevor Lawrence, he has that talent, but everyone knows it. Justin Fields, he's not the same with the strong arm. He's just a running quarterback that also is just good at throwing. And then Zach Wilson, I mean, I don't really know too much about him, but he's kind of recognized as being really good too. But Trey Lance, he's the closest thing other than Trevor Lawrence that uh, we have to like this Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, strong arm can run around a bit, that type of guy. That's Trey Lance. 
And then for Justin Jefferson, to be honest, I have no idea. Like, honestly, just a lot of people that I respect in the industry seem really high on Rashad Bateman. I know he went to Minnesota. I know his first name is Rashad and his last name is Bateman, but that's about it. And that he's a wide receiver, I guess. Um, but that's really it. I just know a lot of people like him. Uh, I know based on what they say, I want my Ravens to draft him, who's my favorite team. And um, yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's call Rashad Bateman next year's Justin Jefferson. Like a tw- it picked in uh, about 20 overall, probably. Maybe Bateman would go earlier, but picked at 20 overall, wide receiver, breakout. Yeah, forgot I even sent you that question, but I sure did. Uh, yeah, when I brought it up, I can you could kind of consider it as in that draft, two undervalued individuals that became gems, not only within the aspect of real life, but on, in fantasy. You know, the Justin Herbert, his draft process was weird. Um, when I saw his tape, I didn't think – he was as bad as they were selling him to be, but I understood why they were selling him that way. Slash year, Oregon was not good um, in his Rose Bowl. All of his touchdowns were running the football. He didn't really look that particularly good in that game as well, but he shocked everyone. You could say some of it had to do with the weapons around him. I mean, helps to throw to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, but there were a lot of big time throws he made just throwing guys open with that you go. Wow. And then when it's all said and done, Throws for 30 plus touchdowns, only 10 plus picks, or for 4,400 yards, somewhere around that nature. And so he played particularly well. And so a guy that I feel like would accompany that maybe is a guy, like you said, Trey Lance, who I feel like don't have a lot of tape on him because he didn't play this year, but he played last year, didn't throw any picks. Well, not last year, but the year before last, didn't throw any picks. And while I agree he's raw because his footwork is very inconsistent, has a rocking arm, is mobile. And he'll probably go in a system offensively where he might not start early, like Justin Herbert didn't. But he'll go to a team that has the requisite weapons around him that will help prop him up in his development and help him take that next step. Receiver, you brought up Rashad Bateman. That's a great perspective. When I saw him play in Minnesota, he reminded me a lot of Mike Evans. And he's going to be a guy that probably goes late in the draft because maybe he doesn't test very well in the 40s because speed is – paramount at the wide receiver cornerback position in the draft process so he can drop in the late 20s and he'd be an ideal for them like you said a team like baltimore who needs a big time receiver size perspective that can take the top off the defense and catch the in-breaking routes he could blossom well in that system as well and then as the season goes on we'll look up and everybody will be like oh i remember rashard bateman i always knew he could do this in the league when leading into the draft process no one was really saying that so yeah. Um, I mean, I have no idea what type of wide receiver he is. Uh, so I, I just don't know college at all. Uh, but sure. I mean, if he's just a physical guy, if you're comping him to Mike Evans, yeah, th- that guy could be really good. Um, as for Trey Lance, so I don't know how the draft is going to work uh, work out, but I do want the Falcons. I I want the Falcons to have everybody. I don't know why. They just seem like they could be so good if they make enough good moves. But I want the, okay. So I want them to take Penny Sewell at three. That that's what I want for them. But if Penny Sewell, I, I don't know. Figured they sure up their O line in free agency somehow. Uh, 
it would be really fun to see them trade down, take Trey Lance, maybe get a late first round pick or something somehow, and then take Najee Harris. That would be insane. With Najee Harris with Arthur Smith be the next Derrick Henry and have uh, Trey Lance be there too and have them too. Uh, same draft class that that would be awesome and then you've got the that wide receiver core that's also really good I don't think it's going to happen because I think they're happy at number three they could end up with Justin Fields if things go well they could end up with uh, I'd like them to get Penny Sewell but if they can find a way to get Trey Lance and Najee Harris that would be beautiful I think yeah with Atlanta and as a Saints fan, I know because they're in our division. Their problem has always been, especially the last few years, offensive line and then their defense as a whole. Their offensive line, it's unfortunate because I remember a couple of drafts ago, maybe as recently as the last draft, they took two linemen and they just haven't really shored up their offensive line at all. And it's something that needs to be shored up in the foreseeable future because Matt Ryan isn't getting any younger. And the way he's been quarterback in the last few years, he's not as mobile. He needs time to go through his progressions and make the requisite throws because when he doesn't have it, he looks like a completely different quarterback. And then defensively, they haven't been, they haven't had a sound pass rusher since Jonathan Abraham. And that's a long time ago. And, you know, their secondary has been hit or miss. They've tried a bevy of corners back there. Desmond Trufant, uh, Robert Alford. Recently now they got AJ Terrell last season, Isaiah Oliver, they take another crack at him. I like Keanu Neal as a physical presence downhill, but injuries has been affecting him the last few seasons. And so I can see, like you said, they're entertaining the quarterback market within the draft very well. Their GMs come out and say, you know, they, they might take a look at a Justin Fields or things of that nature, but I'd expect them probably, like you said, Penny Sewell's there, consider him on the offensive line or take the best defensive player available on their board. Even though looking at the draft and its perspective, I don't see a defensive player on anyone's board that I'm like, wow, take him in the top five. I feel like this draft, the top five would probably be offensive primary players. Yeah, for sure. Um, and as for the Falcons' defense, I think that's the main reason why I'm excited for them. It could have been a fluke, but ever since they uh, fired Dan Quinn, Raheem Morris, Raheem Morris was the interim head coach. That defense was good. Like, uh, we think for through the first half, we definitely thought of them as in it as um, a matchup to attack with streamers and uh, making start sit decisions. But towards the back half, like uh, I, I think they had one game against Taysom Hill and then they had a bye week or maybe they played someone else. And then they had a second game against Taysom Hill and that second game against Taysom Hill really, really started um this like surge of the Falcons defense being like top five in the league. And it sounds insane because their uh, full season numbers are horrible, but uh, maybe not horrible, but not good. But the back half of the uh, season, they were like legit. It was the offense that was bad. Um, I think Penny Sewell could uh, sure up the offense, but figure they want to start planning for the future. Yeah. I think the best way to do that could be, Trey Lance and a Najee Harris combo. You would have to get pretty lucky to get both of them on your team. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but that would be pretty cool to see, I think. Yeah. You know, Atlanta, like you said, the, the talent's there. And you're right. When Raheem, uh, 
Morris, I was going to call him Raheem Moster. When Raheem Morris came in and started coaching the team, they played markedly well as a defense. Second time they played Taysom Hill, especially in that second half, they clamped down really well to the point where it came down to a failed Hail Mary attempt, and they could have won that one. And it seemed like they were trending upward, but their non-finest moment was towards the end of the year against the Super Bowl champion Bucks. They were up early, and then they collapsed. But that may have not just been a defensive thing. I think that's culturally Atlanta's nature is to a collapse when they get big leads. That's been their narrative since their infamous Super Bowl performance against the Patriots. But it is there. We know with Arthur Smith on the team, they're probably going to be a run-first offensive unit. And I think that's smart. And with that, you've got a bevy of options you could choose from, from a fantasy perspective. Todd Gurley showed flashes early in the year of his old self, but he'll never truly be the same because of arthritis. Edo Smith is cool, but he's more of a situational back, not a primary guy. So I could see Atlanta, first-round offensive lineman, second round if he's there, take, take a Najee Harris, you know, with that pick to give them a semblance of a franchise back to move forward. And so interesting to see how it shakes up for him on that front. Yeah, that would be cool to see. I agree. And I'm going to throw a few topics in there. A um, couple more topics I didn't have on our itinerary. Not fantasy football-esque, but it's NFL nonetheless. So you're a Ravens fan, um, and I found that out. I was checking over your page a couple of days ago, and you talked about Lamar Jackson's imperfections as a passer. There's a lot of individuals across the internet that love Lamar Jackson and feel like it's not his fault that he struggles to throw the football at times consistently. It's the weapons, things of that nature. Um, let's just take it back to the playoff run that they had this year. They beat the Titans. Well, Lamar played pretty well after struggling early, and then he didn't perform as great as against Buffalo. And again, we could both arguably say it was winnable for that team. Coming off of that, he got the monkey off his back in the playoffs, but we're still kind of here talking about he needs to improve as a passer. Is that the biggest aspect that he needs to improve on for that team to take the next step to come out of the AFC? Or is it deeper than that? Is it he has to take that step, but offensively, he's got to have the weapons around him. Defensively, maybe add a couple more edge rushers, things of that nature. What do you think? I don't know. I, I It would be nice to see him improve as a passer. Like, of course, that would be great. But it's kind of like saying, um, figure Drew Brees weren't like just stopped aging, was still around. Uh, it, just figure that was the case. Or like, uh, maybe a better example is it, it's like saying Russ needs to improve. Like that's why they aren't making the Super Bowl. Or like saying Drew Brees needs to get better. That that's why they haven't won a Super Bowl yet. Like no, it's been two years. It, it, just because you can be great, you can be one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and just not make the Super Bowl because other people beat you. It's very for that to happen. Like you can say. Uh, who's another good quarterback? I I don't know. Like, I think Russell Wilson's probably the perfect example. Like, he hasn't been to the Super Bowl in a long time, but it's not because he's bad, and it's not because his team is bad. Like this year, their defense uh, in the playoff was their offense was definitely had struggles, but it wasn't Russ's fault. Um, but it it's like saying. It may be the better example, I guess, is the Saints and Drew Brees because their defense is legitimately good and their offense was really good too. It was Drew Brees' fault that they lost against the Bucs, but it's like, it, I just don't think it adds up. You can have a great team. You can 
be good on offense and defense, have one bad game and lose and not make Super Bowl. It's been two years, guys. Like Lamar, give him more of a chance. We've just the narrative that running quarterbacks can't win in playoffs is just dumb. Running quarterbacks can win whenever. Like it it's just that we haven't had very many running quarterbacks. You've got you got Mike Vick, you've got Cam Newton. Now you've got this new generation of Lamar, Kyler, Jalen Hurts, etc. But you just don't have a big enough sample size to say running back, running quarterbacks can't make the Super Bowl, can't win in the playoffs. You cannot say that because there have only been like five that are even comparable to Lamar. And they have won playoff games. The Panthers made it to the Super Bowl. The Ravens won a playoff game this year. Uh, Tim Tebow won a playoff game. Like, it's not a valid argument to say that a running quarterback can't run in the playoffs. He can't win in the playoffs. And it's also not valid to say Lamar needs to get better so that they they have one. You just lose sometimes, and that's what's happening with Lamar. It would be nice to see him get better, but I think with this team build, they honestly could win a Super Bowl. They just need to get lucky, and any team needs to get lucky to win the Super Bowl. You're not only going to win because you're good because they're like, six other teams that are just as good as you. You need to win because you're good and you're lucky. And the Ravens just haven't been lucky enough so far. Yeah, I want to touch base on like three points you've really said. One, the Super Bowl tip. You're right. Takes luck to make a run. Tampa Bay, I think, proved that this year. Not saying their whole run was lucky, but excluding the Washington football team game where I just feel like from start to finish, they were just better than those guys. Saints, Drew Brees had an off game. And they took advantage of that because when they had to go the length of the field, they weren't as effective offensively. And I'm speaking of Tampa. But when the field was cut in half because their defense has created turnovers, Brady executed in the red zone. Against Green Bay, they did what Green Bay couldn't. Green Bay won the takeaway battle, got six points. Tampa Bay got two takeaways, got 14 off of them. And then the Super Bowl dominated the Kansas City's offensive line. They didn't have three starters. So you play with the hand that you're dealt. But if the opposition has a hand that's a little bit crippled or maimed, you take advantage of that with things that you do pretty well. And that's what a Super Bowl is all about. Most runs are. When it comes to Lamar, I do think the narrative of a running quarterback can win the Super Bowl is a little bit over the top. Because you said Cam Newton made it. And the guy that I feel like he's more comparable towards in this modern era, it's a little bit ironic because he no longer plays anymore. It's Colin Kaepernick. He led the Niners to a Super Bowl against, ironically, the Ravens. And maybe if they call that pass interference flag on Michael Krabs in the end zone, they could have won that. And they basically run, in essence, because the offensive coordinator of the Ravens, the offensive coordinator of the Niners, Greg Roman, they run the same system. Now, you can make a case Kaepernick's a little bit of a better passer than Lamar, and that might be because of his baseball background. But... I do feel like they have a system in place to where, and they're a complete enough of a team where they can get over the top. But sadly enough, Lamar is on the clock. And the reason why he's on the clock, not on the clock in terms of like, he's going to lose his job. I think once he got the MVP, he's going to get that max deal. He's set for the foreseeable future in Baltimore. But Josh Allen's evolution as a passer has kind of made people look at it where it's like, oh, the narrative of you just got to get better. you really can get better because before it used to be get better and then that guy would never really get better and then that's who he is but Josh Allen took a complete 360 and so the feeling is all right maybe Lamar won't ever be 
the natural of a passer like Patrick Mahomes is, but he can improve his pinpoint accuracy, his anticipation, just trust in his arm. I personally feel like he maybe needs to change, not fully, but adjust his arm angles or, you know, the way he gets rid of the football because the way they play offense, he's great in the middle of the field and he's suspect on the perimeter. And that just constricts your ability to do anything offensively in the passing game. And so Buffalo, what they did, um, and Tennessee tried it. They just were so bad defensively all year that it didn't matter. But what Buffalo did is they played man, and they brought like an extra blitzer to basically make Lamar hurry up his decision-making to where if he did try to run, and he also put contain on the edges, he did try to run, he was met by the contain or met by a fast guy that was rushing. And if he was able to step up in the pocket, they were like, okay, make the contested throws on the boundary because we're going to have a robber in the middle. So the middle isn't an option. And he missed guys. And then when he threw the pick, they essentially sealed the game. He forced that because he didn't trust his ability to throw to a wide open Hollywood Brown on the edges. And so I get it. They're receiving Corey's in the greatest. But he does have to improve just enough to where offensively their potential is maximized because – when it's not, you're going to have guys like Willie Sneed come out and say, I could be X, Y, and Z because I used to do it in New Orleans, which is basically what he's saying because in New Orleans he had a 1,000-yard season with Drew Brees. And nobody's saying Lamar got to be Brees, but got to improve enough as a passer to where that offense can take a step to where they're legit competitors against a team in the playoffs where they bring these exotic, not really exotic blitzes, they just bring these defensive packages on you and it's like, all right, made enough adjustments within my game to where I could counteract that by making the right reads and trusting my throwing. So I'm not exactly sure what it is, but uh, also a couple of years ago in his rookie season, Lamar met the Chargers in the playoffs. Um, and they did this thing where all of their linebackers were pretty much safeties. Ironically, Desmond King had a lot to do with that. Um, it, it was a cool game plan. And usually if a team... So we kind of saw it in the Super Bowl. Like uh, when a team has a typical like passing quarterback uh, and you are being and you're not productive on offense, there's like a series of like hundreds of thousands of games to look back onto and kind of like learn from, oh, there was a similar time that this happened in this game and here's how you counter it. Like there's kind of a set like, rule book of like how to counter stuff and there's not that rule book yet for running quarterbacks so with what the chargers did with what the bills did you can try something else but the just the likelihood that it will work is a lot less than if you had a t- passing quarterback where you have a lot more data you have a lot more knowledge of how to counter typical defenses and like what counters work when but you don't have that data with running quarterbacks since it's kind of a new fad. Yeah, it's you're right. And with that being said, it's about personnel. So Tennessee just didn't have the personnel. I, I thought they kind of ran the same coverages that Buffalo did, just that their backers weren't the most disciplined. And then when Lamar hit that second level, they just didn't have the speed like they did last year or the discipline to keep them out of the end zone. Buffalo, their whole linebacking core, Milano, Edmonds, they're sideline to sideline backers. Um, their guys on the edges, Jerry Hughes, he's an elder statesman, but he's a very good container and he's disciplined. And so they feel like they trust enough to where their corners play man to man enough to where it's like, 
these guys can't beat us off the line, so we're good. And so it basically put Lamar in a bind to where he had to basically do something that he's just not good at. And that's just make the requisite throws on the boundary. And there were a couple of guys that he just missed. And I think it inevitably led to him getting knocked out because as time wore on and they got behind the sticks even more, the rush just kept coming and coming and coming. He really didn't have nowhere else to go. And that led him to getting knocked out. And so you're right. It's about personnel with these mobile quarterbacks. Obviously, there's no true scheme in comparison to a passing guy where you're dicing us up drop seven, rush four. I mean, that's play zone. Like, that's it. With the running quarterback, it's like play man and hope that our athletes on defense can get to him or can stay in front of him. And even with those situations, still not enough because Lamar, we'll never know what he truly runs in a 40, but let's say he runs a sub four three. You're there and he gets eight yards when I guess the regular guy, it's maybe a three yard game because he's got that extra gear that could just get him closer to the marker. So that's facts. Yeah. I, the So we're talking about uh, signing Lamar to an, exgen, an extension. I think he deserves it based on his play. Like he, as long as he's healthy, he definitely deserves maybe not a Patrick Mahomes type extension because that is very special. And Patrick Mahomes is, is so unprecedented with what he's doing at this young of an age. But maybe give him a Deshaun Watson extension, something like that, because he deserves like 30 million a year as long as he's healthy. Uh, maybe put less safety in the contract because uh, there is a chance he just RG3s and is tears his ACL this year and then can never return to form. Um, but if, like, if we had injuries, if we were playing Madden, had injuries turned off, Lamar Jackson deserves to be one of the top paid quarterbacks in the league if he, um, even if he can't. Uh, even if he can't improve his passing like Josh Allen did, because um, he's just really good as is. And if he can improve his passing, awesome. Like that's going to be virtually unstoppable then. But with what he is right now, like that's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, I agree. Obviously, he needs to have an injury clause within his contract, like Mahomes did. Because why he didn't get as hurt as Mahomes did before his contract? He's susceptible to it because of his play style. But I do think when he goes to the negotiation table, he's going to say these three things. With me as your quarterback, we went to the playoffs three years in a row. I won a playoff game, and I won league MVP. That alone will get him, I think, at least in the $200 to $250 million contract range. Will he get to three hundred? Probably not. But he just makes the Ravens offense so special because of his duality. He can throw it decent enough but his athleticism and his ability to outbreak contain and get outside the pocket and utilize his legs as a runner is next to none and so with that you got to compensate him for those things and I feel like Baltimore will um they've let it be known they want to re-sign him they want to re-sign Mark Andrews and you know Orlando Brown Jr. just said he does want to be there because he wants to be a left tackle so they kind of got their ducks in order everything's kind of creating itself into its own reality and so I think when it's time to shell out the contracts necessary with Baltimore, they'll pay the guys that need to be paid that made impacts within the team. And from there, I think they'll be able to get to where they need to go. Now, last thing I want to touch base on before we can call it quits, the AFC in a nutshell. So Kansas City, they went back to the Super Bowl and they lost. 
And it's expected that next year they're going to bring back the same team. And a lot of their offensive line that wasn't there for the Super Bowl will be back um, expectedly. In your eyes as a Ravens fan, is it still the AFC runs through Kansas City? Or do you look at it as, all right, new year, sure, the Chiefs won the AFC championship two years in a row, but if somebody controls what they can control within their own building, they can emerge as the new AFC representative in the Super Bowl. I mean, yeah, it's not a given that the uh, Chiefs are going to be in the Super Bowl. Hardly ever do you make it to the Super Bowl three years in a row. So if we're talking about odds, like the odds are definitely less than 50%, probably less than 25% that the Chiefs make it to the Super Bowl because it just doesn't happen. Uh, I could see the Bills making it to the Super Bowl. I could see the Titans if they improve their defense. I could see the Ravens, Browns, probably not Colts with Carson Wentz. Uh, Dolphins, sure. Uh, Ray, figure out quarterback. Chargers, it, like, I think the Chargers are so good. I don't know if we have enough time to talk about that, but the Chargers are for real. That defense looks awesome. Staley is probably going to bring that defense to a new level. And, and Herbert, oh, my God. I, I really like the Chargers. They could totally make Super Bowl. Broncos, if they get Watson, sure. And Jets, if they get Watson, sure. And then... Maybe Trevor Lawrence, not in his first year, but sometime soon. Yeah. There are only a few teams. I, I didn't even mention the Bengals. The Bengals could cold, totally do it. Maybe not this year with Joe Burrow missing a couple games at the beginning of the season, presumably. But sometime soon, sure, they could do it. Like, I do think that it runs through KC because they're the best team right now. But they aren't the only team right now either. Like, there are some very solid teams um, that could totally make a push as well. Yeah, you brought up the Chargers, and we got enough time if you want to go into it. I agree. Like, when I look in their division, Kansas City, why I do think Oakland, I said Oakland, why I do think Vegas is behind the chains in terms of developing in the John Gruden era, Denver is a quarterback away from being a playoff team. I know defensively in the secondary, they had some issues, which was expected when they look at Chris Harris and you know, those guys of that nature, like Justin Simmons, but there's issues there. But they're just a quarterback away from being a postseason team. And then with the Chargers, defensively, they have the personnel to give Kansas City problems, and they always do. Even when Phillip Rivers was there the year prior, they always give Kansas City issues. It's always a dogfight when the Chiefs play the Chargers. The big thing with them is, is Derwin James going to stay healthy? I mean, he hasn't played in two years, and I, and I love him. And against Kansas City alone, you saw what um, Levante Davis was able to do with Kelsey and man coverage. Duran James can do the same. And they got Bookins and Bosa and Ingram and Tillery up the middle. And then linebacker-wise, Kenneth Murray Jr., it could be a blossoming stud. And their personnel on the back end with the corners and the safeties, their problem. And then you know what they bring offensively. And so the Chargers could be that team that can not only make the playoffs, but give the Chiefs a run for their money in the division. So you're right, it does run through Kansas City. They've been there, done that two years in a row. That's the biggest thing with the Chiefs is, is there going to be a Super Bowl hangover? Seattle went two years in a row, and then the next year they won a playoff game. They should have never won when Blair Wash missed the easy field goal. And then they got rocked by Carolina in, in you know, the second round, and they were never really the same postseason team again. So is that going to happen to the Chiefs? And then the biggest thing is Mahomes' health. He's got to stay healthy. 
Um, he was able to survive last year without getting mortally injured. He had the you know the foot issue against Cleveland in the divisional round. He's got to stay healthy, and I do think offensively they probably need a bigger receiver on the outside. I know Tyreek Hill is a game breaker, He's a speed demon. We get all of that, but you saw against Tampa, it's not the biggest guy, and as a vertical threat, that's improving, but still limited as a route runner. When you take away his biggest specialty, you do need an underneath guy that can move the chains intermediately, and it can't just be Kelsey. Watkins used to be that guy. He's over the hill now. He probably won't be on the team. Maybe if they, it's impossible. Maybe they can probably get Allen Robinson on the cheap. That could be a guy that could be influential within their offense. Just another weapon outside of Kelsey, where if the guys take the top off the defense, Holmes trust them enough to take the underneath stuff. So, yeah, I I don't know if they have the cap or uh, whatever to pay for another wideout. I think they should just probably draft someone on day two, and that would work out perfectly fine. Um, something that I did want to say though is I think super narrative is the Super Bowl hangover narrative is dumb. Like the Seahawks, why they were bad in that third year and on is not because they made it to the Super Bowl twice, so they just did and we made it twice, we're done. It was they spent a lot of money those two years. Just the how NFL contracts work is you kind of just have a window and then once that window's through you're you need to start rebuilding again i mean legion of whom was fun while it lasted but it died once um the players started aging and started going elsewhere uh it didn't really work like you have a couple year window and both years for the seahawks went well but it's to teams that don't make the super bowl too like the jaguars you, if they made a Super Bowl, we would be calling what they just went through a Super Bowl hangover. Didn't make the Super Bowl, so we're just calling it, oh, that didn't work, it's a rebuild. Like, just because the Seahawks made the Super Bowl, just because KC made the Super Bowl, doesn't mean we say, oh, it's a Super Bowl hangover. We just need to recognize now is their time to rebuild. And, I mean, it's not coming right now for KC, but maybe Travis Kelsey will age. Uh, and head out sometime soon. Um, maybe the defense will lose a couple pieces once they start running low on money, get too old, whatever. Um, and then the cycle will repeat. It's not going to be because they just made it two years in a row and thought, hey, we're done. It's just because like, that's how it works. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, battle of attrition takes over in football. Injuries, guys get older. And then the cap thing, like you said, it's not like the NBA where it's like, okay, we can invest our money in like three guys. And because our roster is full of 15 players, we can just get by with that because our roster has 15 players. In the NFL, you got 53. But I don't think the terminology of a Super Bowl hangover is supremely dumb. I do think it's a little bit overrated because, like you said, some teams just have a flash in the pan moment. Like Atlanta had a flash in the pan moment. They went to the Super Bowl, had a great run to where uh, they got home field, beat a beat up Seattle team, and then decimated a Green Bay team who defensively was always bad. Only were in that position because Aaron Rodgers is a great player. And then the next year, they did go back to the playoffs, made it to the second round and lost to Philly. But, you know, like I said, their defense was never that strong. 
Offensively, Matt Ryan probably had his best two-year run of his career, mainly because they ran the ball particularly well. They had a lot of PA class concepts that allowed Ryan to have the time and the ability to hit receivers all over the field. So, yeah, there's that. But I also think just the mental drain. When you go to the Super Bowl and you lose, and the next year you face adversity, you're kind of like, eh, I don't know if I want to go back. Like, is it worth it? And so with Seattle, like you said, they did pay a lot of money to the defensive players. But I think a lot of that had to do with they never really recovered from what Pete Carroll did at the goal line with Marshawn Lynch. And that year in particular, they weren't horribly bad. I think they won double-digit games. But it just felt like at every loss, it was like, the end of the world and adversity in the locker room. And they just never really recovered from that psychologically, that form of the team that is. And so with Kansas City, I don't think it'll be that bad for them. They may actually look at this loss and be like, you know what? COVID-19 season, we went back to the Super Bowl and they beat us because our offensive line sucked, mainly because no one was there that we're accustomed to having. And then defensively, we just didn't play our same brand of football because the refs took over. It happens. Um, maybe they come back next year and it's like, all right, we're going to run it back again. And then when we get there, we'll take it a lot more serious and be a little bit more nuanced in terms of play calls and whatnot. But you're right. NFL dynasties are really rare. And I think that's the main reason why we laud Brady and the Patriots excellence during that tenure, because you're so accustomed to seeing teams have a little two, three year window and then it's gone. Like they're back to being back to the mean with New England. It was like, yeah, maybe they didn't go to the Super Bowl in like a decade, but during that decade, they were always right there. And then they had that breakthrough in the new decade. And it was like, wow, you expect it. So not everybody's like that because you got to have that franchise quarterback that's great. You got to have that cutthroat GM in Belichick who's like, okay, when I feel like your window's done, I'm going to get rid of you and get a new guy in here that might not be as well-known or talented as you, but he's productive in my system. And it always puts them at the door of contention every single year, and they're productive. So Super Hangover, I think, is it's 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 legit. Do think it's a little bit overrated because I feel like teams do have flash in the pan moments. And then I think psychologically, when guys face that resistance the next year, they start thinking about their shortcoming the year prior. And it's like, eh, I don't really know if I want it that bad. So NFL players always want to win and don't really think about like what happened last year. Just look forward. Maybe some do, but not a whole team. I don't know. You can buy it. It's an interesting narrative to think about. A lot of narratives that make for goods in the NFL media latch to them. At, but um, and they they are fun to think about. But the NFL, uh, a, a lot of these storylines that just kind of I don't buy into them. But it's perfectly fine if you do. I'm not going to trash you for uh, buying into it. I just don't think that's the reason why the Super Bowl thing. Fair enough, fair enough. And with that, it's the conclusion of episode nine of Independent Intel. Before I go, uh, Jordan, I want to talk about your podcast and where guys can contact it in the future. Yeah, for sure. So uh, just check me out anywhere you send podcasts. Uh, follow me at FOV Sports on at FOV underscore sports on Instagram or Twitter. Um, you'll see all my stuff there. Uh, Twitter, I post anything I think about. A lot of times it's sports, since a lot of times I'm thinking about sports, but sometimes it's just some 
a random thought that pops into my head and I want to share with people. Um, and then on Instagram, I post every Tuesday and Friday, just some sort of ranking, some sort of uh, interesting stat that I found, some leaderboard. And I like to think my content is pretty vi visually appealing. So if you type of thing over on Instagram, check me out at FOV underscore sports. Of course, I post like announcements and whatnot um, on both of my social media. So you can find me there. All right, guys, you heard him. And with that, it's conclusion episode nine. Be back next week with episode 10. Hope you guys enjoy. Stay tuned.